Lord, what a joy it is for us to be here. Lord, to know and to come in with that expectation that you have a word for us. You have a word, Lord, that applies to where we're at as you meet us right here, right now. Lord, we pray that you've been pleased and glorified, truly honored with what has taken place so far this morning. And Lord, I pray as we continue to read your word that your spirit um, will search every crevice and, and in every corner, Lord, of our heart and would reveal to us the need, Lord, that we have for you and that you may help us, Lord, apply this truth to our lives this morning, that we may choose to live to be a greater light for you in a world that's dying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Galatians chapter 6 this morning. As you're opening to Galatians, I'll tell you, um, starting next week, we're starting our Christmas series, three weeks of a series of messages called Crazy Christmas Vacation. Crazy Christmas Vacation for three weeks, and then we have some really exciting stuff. The very end of December, starting into January, you'll hear more about really soon. You know, a lot of life, if you think about it, a lot of life really is the result of our decisions. Um, the course of life that, we, that we're on really kind of turns and maneuvers um, largely based on the decisions that we make, whether good or bad, wise or foolish. Now, of course, there is always the intervening grace of God, and we can be great and grateful and thankful for that, that there are times where we may choose improperly. We may, not, we may not make wise decisions or biblically-based decisions, but I'm sure each one of us in our lives can look back on our, on our existence and look at those moments and, and, and highlight those times where God did not give us what we deserved, where God reached into the middle of our scenario, our situation that was... Uh, probably bad because of our own poor choices, and yet He saved us and rescued us from those. And there are sometimes we may have a tendency as we go through life and, and realizing God's intervening grace in our life and how He has rescued us and saved us much from what we deserve, we may have a tendency to want to rely on that and trust that, well, I'm just going to jump and trust that God is going to catch me or God is going to, to provide or God is going to snatch me out of this situation like he has in the past and it's never a good decision to just trust um, in to go ahead and make uh, improper or unbiblical decisions based off of the thought that God may get us there because we also must remember that there are consequences for our sins consequences for negative actions consequences for disregarding the counsel and the wisdom of God's word and I want us to look this morning at what do we do how can we today right now make decisions how can we learn to make decisions so that years from now or days or weeks or maybe even decades from now we may be able to see a return on those investments those wise biblical investments so i want you to look with me if you would in galatians chapter 6 i want to look at sowing the right seed being spiritual farmers planning now so that when that harvest comes we may be able to truly be joyful. We're going to look at both sides of the promises of God this morning. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse number 6, it says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Let me stop there. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. How many of you, when I, said, when I say you reap what you sow, hear your mother's voice? Is that just me or is that anybody else? That when I'm saying it, it, it you just um, your mother's face is on my head? That came out wrong. Verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Short verse, it's the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Galatians. He was um, not pleased with these believers. He was trying to encourage them, trying to counsel them, but they had... Uh, they were running the risk, and many of them were falling back into Judaism, the, the re- recognition of the legal system. They felt in order uh, to truly be a Christian, they had to be a good Jew first, and it was a false teaching. They were making the grace of God of no effect in their life because they had transitioned to this place where they felt as though they had earned it or that they must earn it. And Paul has spent most of Galatians dealing with that very issue, dealing with that issue that we cannot earn God's grace, putting to death that idea that one can warrant a right position with God of our own doing. And in the conclusion of of Galatians, he gives various instructions and exhortations to them, which is customary in many of his letters. But he says something interesting in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now think about that for a minute. Because first thing I want you to see this morning in sowing the right seed is Paul tells us that there is a warning. He gives us a warning. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, I would imagine if I took a poll this morning, every one of us would say we know that. We know that we're not supposed to mock God. We know that God is aware of everything. We know that God ultimately is going to get what He wants to get. That we can't trick God. We can't fool God. We can't hide from God. He knows everything. And I think it's funny that even though if I took a poll, every one of us would say, yeah, I know that. I believe that. And further, I have believed that. I'm sure that the Galatians also, who had trusted Christ and come to faith in Him and had struggled with some of their theological persuasions at times, I'm sure that they probably had heard that too. God is not mocked. But yet the apostle, this tree is really... I can't get down to the front row. I'm sure that the apostle, when he says, do not be deceived, he's knowing, hey, there's a problem here. We have to realize, we have to remember that we can easily be deceived in thinking that God can be mocked or, or that it's okay to kind of to grin and wink at God. It's okay to kind of maybe give lip service to Him while our life does not match it up. And I started thinking how... How important it is for us to, to how, the need, the great need it is in our life to have instruction. And again, I'm so thankful, and I know this is very rudimentary, but I am so grateful that at any moment of my life, at any moment of my day, I can open up God's Word and get God's heart and God's mind on any particular issue. 
I can open this up and use it truly as an atlas, as a roadmap, as, as, a, as an owner's manual for life. I can read and heed instruction. I, I can gather that information whenever I want. And I'm also reminded how cautious we should be. If the apostle is warning those Galatian believers, hey, don't be deceived. Do not allow yourself to be fooled in this. Is that God is not mocked. Something so foundational, I'm reminded, you know what, that I need to stay up on my instruction. I need to be familiar with the word. I need to be um, involved, deeply digging out the treasures of God's word because I too, clothed in the same flesh as those Galatians and clothed in the same flesh of all of the, the human beings before them, that I also can be deceived. I want you to see that second part. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What does that mean? What does it mean to mock God? Well, we think of it probably as making fun of somebody. Well, we're, we probably see on TV or Saturday Night Live where someone is mocking someone else and they're, they're making fun of them. And in a way, that's true. Uh, it's kind of sneering. Scorning, it really runs a wide spectrum of understandings. But basically what it is is this, is that you are not taking God for who He said He is. And you're thinking that in that, you may be able to get one over on God. You are making fun of Him. You are not respecting Him. You are not reverencing Him. You are not taking Him at His word. To give you an example of what that would mean, do you remember when Christ was being tried and He was bouncing around to those many trials at night before He went to the cross? There was one moment in the Gospels where he went before some soldiers. And these were men whose job it was, was to prepare him for the crucifixion. This was the moment where they would beat him and, and, and ridicule him. This was the moment where he was in the hands of sinful men. Not just in the hands of sinful men, but in the hands of sinful men who did not believe he was who he said he was. And these men, you may remember, they beat him with the palms of their hands. You may remember they took a reed and put it in his hand as a royal scepter and mocked him. You may remember that they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, something that should be, should be a recognition of dignity and, and true majesty in a crown really didn't do anything other than bring pain and sorrow and hurt. You may remember that they also spit on him as well. They bent a knee and said, Hail the King. They didn't mean those words that they were saying. They were simply mocking and making fun. They did not take him at his word for who he was. I want to read to you for a moment out of Psalm 50, verse 16. It says, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, God says. But now I will rebuke you and lay the charge before you. These people in Psalm 50 that God is writing to were people who were doing horrible things. Horrible things by God's standards. 
And if you think about it, all the while they're doing these things, they're, they're committing these acts of sin among their brother, they're speaking horrible things about other people, um, they are, are definitely not living in the way that God designed them, they are not giving any regard to the teachings of God. All the while, I would imagine when they started, they're looking up to the sky to see if God's going to get them. And then eventually they see, well, you know what? God didn't do anything to us after we did this. So they started to think that God's delay in rebuke meant that God was along with it, that God was okay with it. So, of course, their character began to be more corrupt and more corrupt. And what God is saying is, you're mocking me. You are doing these things, feeling, and you have, you have lost sight of who I truly am. And in your mind now, you believe that I think like you. You think that I act like you. You think that I am one of you, that I would go along with this activity. And God says, no. There has been a delay. There has been a moment where I have been patient and long-suffering over your activity, but you have no desire to turn. So God says, I'm going to bring your charges against you, and I will rebuke you. The rest of that verse says, mark this, then you who forget God. They weren't just mocking, but they got to the point that they totally lost sight of who he truly was, and then they forgot about him. God says, mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way the right way, I will show the salvation of God. God says, you have a choice now. You can turn, or you can suffer the consequences of my judgment on your wrath. You see, sometimes it may be like that for us. In the beginning, as we, as we walk the journey with Christ, we may be yielded to temptation. We may surrender to that yield, or we may yield to that temptation, and before long, we're engaged in that activity. In the beginning, we're appalled, we're upset with ourselves, but then when we see that the, that the judgment hand of God or that the disciplinary hand of God is not swift to come down on us, we may think, well, maybe it's okay, I'll, I'll do it again, and I'll do it again. And before long, we have gotten to the place where we are absolutely blatantly walking in direct defiance to God's word. And what God is, what the apostle is saying here is don't be deceived. Don't forget this. God is not mocked. He provides for us a warning. And friends, it is a solemn warning indeed. God is not mocked. Guys, I, I would love to be able to tell you that we live in a world right now that is known. I would love to tell you it's just a world that, that is mocking God and that um, does not have a problem defying him to his face and blatantly parading unrighteousness and sinful activity before him. And I would love to say that our country is so much different, but what we see is what has gone on in a lost world is not so different from our, our nation right now. There is a growing desire to blatantly to slap God in the face with our unrighteousness and to parade it right under his nose. And I think probably not just for us as individuals, but quite possibly for our nation as a whole, there is a true solemn warning. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There's a warning because the warning is based on a principle. Notice the second part of verse 7. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's a principle. In fact, that's a foundational principle in our life. In the spring, I'm going to plant. It would be really weird if I put a tomato, if I put a, a bean seed in the ground and it came up corn. 
That doesn't happen. You put a bean seed, I guess you put a bean, the bean is a seed. You put the bean in the ground, you know what? It's going to come up a bean. You put corn in the ground, it's going to come up a corn. It's going to come up corn. That's a fundamental truth. That's a structure to life. That's how God ordered everything. That gives order and reason and understanding to what we do in life in the physical world. If I plant this in the ground, I can expect that if it grows, it will grow in the same manner and in the same likeness and the exact same type as which I planted it. It's not going to change. That is a true fundamental principle in the physical world. And what God is saying, what the apostle is saying is that this warning is so severe because it is based off of the same principle that we have in life. He's saying this physical principle of what you put in the ground is going to come up the same thing that is the same principle used in our spiritual lives as well. What is tangible, what is seen, what is able to be touched is the same scenario, he says, in our spiritual existence. What we sow. What we plant, what we put down in the ground, what we invest in is going to be what comes back up. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic that we can live lives sowing unrighteousness? We can live lives without sowing any truth into the life of our children. We can live lives without sowing any truth and any, any effort, godly effort into our marriages. Isn't it crazy that we can sow unrighteousness in our financial dealings? And we can just spend all the while throwing out this horrible seed. And then once the crop rises and starts to bear fruit, we wonder, what happened? What happened to my marriage? What happened to my kids? What happened to my finances? What happened to my time? Because I, I don't remember all of this happening. I don't remember planting all of these things, it's ironic that once those fruits start to come and, they start, and that plant starts to bear fruit, we're surprised and amazed. We get caught off guard because all the while we have not been cautious, wise planters in our life, in the past. And the past eventually in farming comes up to catch up with us. The Bible tells us that there's not just this principle of reaping what we sow in the physical world and in the spiritual world. But the Bible also tells us, and you may jot this down at 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it also tells us that there's another principle involved, and it's the principle of proportion. The principle of proportion. It's not just what you sow, but it's how much you sow. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the Bible tells us that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So it's not just am I reaping the good or the bad, but it's how much. What is the quantity of what I'm reaping? So really, truly, when you look at these fundamentals, if I want more corn, I need to plant more seed. I can't expect to plant a row three foot long with one row in it and expect to have enough corn to feed my family. It's all dependent on not just what I plant, but how much do I plant. Let me just pause here at, at intermission and ask you just a quick question. Right now, if we just had to recap over what, what we've looked at with a warning that's based off of a principle, I want you to just consider this for a minute. In your life right now, individually, right where you are, would you say you are working hard to plant good seed? 
seed or planting truth, acting off of the truth of God's word, making wise biblical decisions, not just a few, not just in one area of your life, but as much good seed as you possibly can. Why? Why would we do that? Because, friends, there is the third thing, a promise. Verse number eight, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. It's funny that it's a good thing that God is the ultimate accountant. Because I'll tell you what, guys. When you and I, those that have trusted Christ as our Savior, when we stand in eternity, when we stand before God, I think there are going to be a lot of surprises. I think there are going to be a lot of things that catch our eye that we didn't see coming. You see, when the apostle says, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit Will the Spirit reap everlasting life? He's, he's drawing this dichotomy between these two things. The flesh and the Spirit. Now what does that mean to sow in the flesh? Well, ultimately the flesh is known as sinful. Carnal. It speaks of our own personal human desires. That's what he's talking about when he's speaking of the flesh. He's talking about us. So often self-willed, self-living is, is one of the things that he's speaking of and highlighting, no doubt, when he's speaking of the flesh. But beyond that, he's speaking of that which is temporal. That which is not going to last. You know, the great thing about our bodies, it's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, but it's a good thing for us as believers is that we know that our bodies are not going to last forever. The good news is we get a brand new body. J. Vernon McGee says that our body's so messed up, God's not even going to try to fix it. He's just going to give us a new one. That's absolutely true, friends. It's so messed up that God's not even going to try to fix it. He's just going to give us a brand new one. But the truth of it is that my flesh is corrupt. My flesh seeks my own gratification. My flesh seeks my own advancement. My flesh seeks my own desires. My flesh is not ever going to live forever. This flesh that you see is not what I'm going to carry into eternity. So what the apostle is saying is be very careful. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. What you put in the ground is going to come back up. Beyond that, he says, do not sow, do not throw out seeds of self-will, of self-advancement. Do not throw out seeds of sin or carnal worldly desires. Do not invest your seed in something that is not going to last for eternity. That's what he's talking about. How much of our life, how much of our life do we waste on worthless things you see this this truth this scripture that paul is leaving with the galatians is one that really causes us to look at how we evaluate our decisions it causes us to look and say wait a second i want to know what is the wisest thing for me to do and obviously the wisest thing if you think about it any investor will tell you that we want to get the most out of our investment and if you think about it, it's like this. 
There is no investment that you can make. Please hear this. There is no investment you can make in this world that will be greater than the one that you make for Jesus Christ. None. You know why? It doesn't matter how much you give or sow or invest in this world. Because the Bible says that there is coming a time where everything we see is going to melt with fervent heat. It's all going to be gone. Every bit of it. And I'm not saying that you can't be gratified down here with your investments, be they sinful or, 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 or financial investments or self-promotion. I'm not saying that, that it can't feel good down here, but I can tell you it's going to be very short-lived because no matter how much, how much you enjoy it, it is only for a season. And the apostle is saying this, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows out also he will reap. What you put in the ground is going to come back up. And he says, don't sow seeds to the flesh. Sow of them unto spirit, which is eternal life. What does that mean? What does it mean for the spirit? If the flesh is temporary, the spirit means eternal. If the flesh means I'm seeking my own good, my own benefit, my own gratification, the spirit would say I'm seeking the gratification of someone else. I'm living for someone else. Else. I'm living for God, for Christ. I'm living for my wife. I'm, I, I'm seeking the good of my family. I'm putting someone else in front of me. It's a life that's based off of the truth and the foundation of God's Word. What does that look like? What does sowing seeds... What does sowing the right seed as a parent mean? It means this, that as your children are there needing instruction, you are going to do your very best. You're going to try to redeem each moment and each opportunity to pour and sow truth into their lives. What does that mean when you gather around the table? You're going to teach them how to be thankful and recognize where that food came from so that they can get in, in, get in their mind that, you know what, God did give me this food. That's an opportunity to sow truth into their life. When something happens, when they have a rough day at school, or when something else happens, catastrophic it seems in their life, you can use those moments as teachable moments to invest in them and to pour truth from Scripture into their life, to teach them and to work with them on memorizing Scripture. Why? Because you're pouring, you're planting the seed of the Word of God down in their life. Why? Because there's a promise that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I want my children to have a biblical foundation. I want my children to know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. I want my children to know that when everybody else in the world has left them, God never will. I want my children to have that seed planted down in their life. Why? So somewhere down the road, it's going to grow and bear fruit. And when the hard times come, when the drought faces and covers the entire face of the whole world, my children, I hope, will be bright green, fruitful plants because I have sown into their life. What does it mean to, to make wise decisions financially? It means to be a cheerful giver. 
to recognize that these resources that God has given us financially are for His glory. God owns 100%. We give 10% back to Him. To be a faithful tither, a cheerful giver, to use our resources to advance His cause. This month we're, we're giving to Lottie Moon, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. 100% of what goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to missionaries that are on foreign fields. You know what? I can think of no greater eternal investment than to give money to the work and the cause of evangelizing the world for Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what, guys? One of these days, as I said, we're going to be standing before God and we're going to be very surprised. There are going to be people there with great rewards. People with so many jewels in their crown, as Scripture speaks of. Because you know what? They were wise. They knew that this life is but a vapor. They knew that this life was not about them. And they used their life and their resources to advance the cause of Christ. What does it mean to invest wisely in our marriage? It means we realize that marriages need maintenance. It means we do our very best as a husband to love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does it mean for the wife? It means that she follows God's blueprint to see that she honors and reverences her husband as unto the Lord. It means that we are doing our best to pour into the life of our mate, of our spouse, of our partner. Why? Because that's sowing in our marriage. Marriages need maintenance like everything else. What about our use of time? How much of our time gets wasted on truly worthless things? A few laughs, a few smiles. Something that may cause us to snicker, something we may forward on to our friends. How much time in our life gets truly wasted on something that will never last for eternity? Personal holiness. How much of our personal private decisions do we make that honor God? How much time do we spend getting to know the God who saved us and loves us, who's coming for us once again? How often do we use and wisely invest our time and our personal holiness? I want to show you in this promise, he ends it with a challenge. Verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Parents, those of you that have taken a stand to say, I want to I raise my child as much as I can on the foundation of God's Word. I, I'm, I'm willing as a parent to make decisions based off of what is right or wrong according to God's Word rather than what is popular with my, fr- with my kids, friends, or their parents. I, I'm willing to be a parent who chooses righteousness over popularity. And you know what? You know what? That's going to be difficult. You may not have many examples of godly parenting out there to pattern yourself from. You may be mocked or scorned or ridiculed yourself by other parents or your kids may get made fun of because they're not doing what other kids are doing or wearing what other kids are wearing. But you know what? Parents, when it gets hard, 
and it gets tough, and you're thinking, God, I'm trying to make the right decisions, and everything seems to be difficult. My child's not wanting to agree with me. Uh, I'm getting ridiculed by parents. People are looking at us funny. They're wondering what's going on. Read verse 9. Memorize verse 9, parents. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Married couple, invest in your relationship. When it's tough, invest in your relationship. Husbands, when it's tough, love your wife. Wives, when it's tough, honor and reverence your husband. Do what you can to the best of your ability to enrich your partner in the Word of God and in the truth of God and love them. Why? For in due season we will reap. If we do not lose heart, continue. There is an endurance factor. We may not see the harvest now. We may hoe out the weeds. We may fertilize because we know that there's coming a day where that plant is going to produce. Let's trust God's Word over everything else. Amen? Let's trust God's way of parenting. Let's trust God's way to do marriage. He's the one that created it anyway, right? Let's trust Him and stick to it. Do what He says with endurance. Why? Verse 9. We shall reap. We shall reap. Not we might. It's possible that we'll reap. No, we shall reap. Let's make wise financial decisions. Why? We shall reap. Now let me tell you, if you're trying to tithe in a, in a way so the floodgates of heaven will open and you will be more prosperous, you are. that's a poor financial model, Okay. We don't give for the purpose that we may be enriched. We give because we recognize who God is, how good he is to us. He owns all things and we give back a portion to him to reflect our faith and love and gratitude for who he is. It's all about him. Then do not give up or grow tired for in due season. Let me just end on this. We may think. Well, I'm working with my children working as a parent now. I'm investing my time, Pastor, right now. I'm making wise, eternal decisions with my spare time. Pastor, I'm making wise financial decisions. I make a commitment to do that today. So in a week or two or, or a month or a year from now, I ought to be able to see some fruit. There's no guarantee on when. The guarantee is not on the time limit, the time frame. The guarantee is that it will happen. It may be in this life. It may not. But I have to tell you, do not lose sight of this. Do not lose sight of this one thing that some few, few wonderful souls I have encountered have met. They've not lost sight of this one thing is that there is a particular joy that is to be theirs for wise sowing, planting now. There are those in the sunset of their life who can look back over their marriage and see that it is truly the best years of their life. There are those who can look back over their years in their sunset years and see that all of the investment and all of the hard work and pouring into the lives of their children actually saved them from many of the pitfalls that some of their friends had endured. Maybe, even just maybe, their children are also saved as a result of that foundation that was laid. You see, there are those who can look back and say, I'm thankful. Whether I have seen it in this life or not, I am thankful that I invested my life today 
in what is to come. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. The problem is not do we have an opportunity to invest. The problem is truly do we see the opportunities that have arisen. And I want to ask you today, is today a turning point in your life? Because honestly, whenever we're talking about reaping and sowing, we have the truth, we have the, the, the promise that decisions made right here. Please be really still. Decisions, true decisions made right here, right now, do not just affect the right here and the right now. This decision that you're making right now to make wise, wise investments in your kids, in your marriage, in your free time, in your business decisions financially, the decisions you make right now can affect you, generations. This can be a legacy leaving Sunday. You can alter the course of your family lineage right now. Will you choose to look with foresight to what God may do down the road? Trust Him and take Him at His word and know, God, I choose today to sow the right seed, to do the right thing. The other side of that promise is this. Maybe you have sown bad seed. Maybe you have just been living for yourself. You've been searching hard, seeking for that satisfaction maybe you've mocked god maybe right now you're caught up in sin that has tangled you up is binding you up and for a long time you thought god didn't care because he hadn't rebuked you yet let me tell you that's not a testament that he's on board with it because he's not it's a testament to his long suffering and his patience god will not always wink and nod at our unrighteousness but as a parent out of his love for us will discipline us I want to ask you today, would you be willing in your heart to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry for engaging in this activity that I know to be wrong. I'm sorry for sinning against your grace and against your patience. And today, God, I put that to death. I repent of it. I turn away from it. I don't want it anymore. I despise it as much as you do. Today, I'm setting out on a new course to sow the right seed. Make wise decisions do you need to trust christ today as your savior praise god for that intervening grace in our life he today can take that bad road you're on and turn it into a brand new path for his glory the bible says that if we believe that we have sinned if we know that we're a sinner we believe that jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins on calvary and we know that he is god's son and he is holy and perfect and he died in my place And I say in my heart, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. That moment, the Bible says you become a brand new creature. Praise God that he still can intervene in our life. Father, I pray this morning. Help us to see especially how we can take the words off of this page and put them to use in our life. Help us this morning have the strength to pour into the lives of our children. Help us this morning to even go against the grain in our marriage, to live a life that's different because you're different. Help us, Father, to live with one eye here and one eye on the future, realizing that what we do here affects so many people in so many years. 
Let us, Lord, today be able to, to make decisions so that when we look back over our life, we can live without regrets, knowing we have done our very best to sow the right seed. Fathers, we come to this response time for those that have a decision to make publicly. Salvation or baptism, rededication, church membership, prayer, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.